Okay, there's one more piece of information that I am missing that I feel like is vital to a discussion that we may have. Mm, One piece of information. Yes. You've done a lot of research for this show. If there's only one piece of information that you're missing. Man, I am like, I am like set. You, you don't even know. Not not ready for this. 600 Mbps. Hopefully people can't hear me whispering uh, data rates whispering, into the microphone. Whispering about camera gear. <laughs> it's like late night Lucas. Yeah. Oh, geez. Here it is. 422. What is this garbage? Daniel. I've decided that I'm really into like 444 chromo subsampling now. <laughs> and I'm just a real big 444 guy. Well, what's the cheapest camera that you've found that shoots 444? Man, if you want to shoot 444, you basically got to be shooting raw. Yep. So you're you're looking pretty expensive for that then. Getting ahead of yourself, Daniel. S5 Mark II. Does that shoot ProRes 444444? Four, 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 four? Wait, this is where I'm confused. ProRes four 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 is four 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 raw but what's the extra four four <laughs> four fours it's got four fours when i think it should have three fours well the fourth four is just counting the other fours <laughs> but that's not right either <laughs> well it's counting itself which is further confusion yes further confusion <laughs> yes further further confusion i don't know can you hear, I, the, can you hear this in the microphone Yes. Okay, just <laughs> sure. making sure. Sure can. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'll make sure to, I'll try to avoid that. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, if anybody hears weird noises during this podcast, it's Lucas drinking coffee. Yeah. And that's what it's been all the other times, too. <laughs> <laughs> every every time. Every strange noise you hear, it's always Lucas drinking coffee. Oh, man. Yep. Okay, Daniel. Uh, I've been trying to, I'm uh, not trying. Occasionally, I'll think of like new segments for this podcast. This mm-hmm. isn't one of those segments. Okay. This is still what people would call pre-roll. What is the last movie you watched? Luckily for me, I saw this in the show notes because it gave me time to think about it because I couldn't remember offhand. And I'm pretty sure the answer is that the last movie I watched was John Wick 4. We watched that together, right? We did. Okay. And we watched that makes it, it easier. We watched it uh, in late May. That's the last I movie think. you've seen? I think that's the last movie I've seen. If you had asked me about TV shows, I watch TV shows more often, but sure. I don't watch movies very much. Okay. How many movies do you think I've seen <laughs> since you saw that movie? Well, we're recording this in September. And yep. so it's been about three months-ish since then. I bet you've seen 50 movies since then. Wow, that's aggressive. Okay, so we watched, uh, let's see. I've actually seen John Wick 1, 2, and 3 this year. I watched those in April. Okay, yeah, so May 29th is whenever we saw John Wick 4. Yep. And then I saw, oh, geez, one, two, three, four, five, six, 40 movies since then. <laughs> it's, it's pretty close to my guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's about yeah, a movie every two days. Yeah, I was going to ask you uh, if, like, what you think the highest rated movie was on that list, but that's too many movies yeah. for you to guess from. So there's yeah, no I have no know. idea. There's no, no way I could guess that. It's actually, I think, Interstellar. I rewatched that. Mm. That's four and a half stars. No, wait, Jurassic Park's on here, which is a five-star movie, if anyone nice. asks. Nice. Jaws is also a five-star movie. I watched that one. I had this Hot Boy Summer uh, movie list, and mm-hmm. so I was working through. Yeah. I watched a lot of shark movies this summer. 
that that's the, appropriate. The worst movie that I watched was The Reef colon stocked <laughs> which for one i didn't realize was like the sequel to the reef movie which i haven't seen oh and now it, you spoiled it i don't know i'm sure that everyone died in that one too yeah probably no that movie was terrible it was like it was like one star really yeah not not even ironically good no it was just really bad it was just horrible mm, that's a shame what were you gonna say no i, I think i think you uh you you surpassed whatever i was gonna say i don't know what i had <laughs> okay no wait no wait, i was wrong I watched Sleepaway Camp, which is a 1983 horror movie. That was one half of a star. <laughs> Couldn't even get one full star. That movie yeah. was not good. What was so bad about it? Do you remember? It's like, like, what's the difference between a good bad movie and a bad bad movie? We don't have time for that today. I can't. <laughs> even, I can't even. Sleepaway <laughs> Camp was like this. I guess it's like weird, like transphobic movie that where people are like at camp and this someone's like killing people and it turns out it's this little girl but it's not a little girl it's actually a little boy hmm. that the parents were like we wish you were a girl so they're like they well, were like, cross-dressing and so this this like boy girl is having trouble with like figuring out what his her identity is and so starts murdering a bunch of people that are picking on his her brother and the final reveal of the movie is like full frontal nudity shot that i was not prepared for and I'm like, this movie isn't very good. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and then cut to black, which all the movie, but then also me because I passed out. This sounds like it didn't age very well. I was like, how is how is this movie not get canceled? Yeah, no kidding. Maybe it did. And you just you know found it in the dark recesses. I don't know, man. Of- Some people are like, you know, classic horror. And I was like, mm, 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 mm. no, S- some things hard need, pass. Some things need to stay in the past. Yeah. So uh, don't recommend. Don't watch. There we go. Just like, I don't know, what watch like Friday the 13th. Yeah, I don't watch that one. That one's not very good either. Uh, the Thing. You can watch The Thing yeah, instead. Yeah, I've seen The Thing. I watched, I watched Annihilation yesterday, mm. which is a sci-fi horror thing with Natalie Portman in it and Oscar Isaac, which, you know, two thumbs up for one for each of them. And so, uh, yeah, that's it. So now we're doing movie recommendations. Sorry, what are we talking about? Ah, <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> let's, let's just get into the show. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. So Lucas, I saw you using a camera this weekend that wasn't a Fuji camera. And you need to explain yourself. So I've been thinking, you know, I want to expand my horizons. And I thought that maybe, maybe like I should shoot on film. And so film simulations aren't good enough for you or what? I just, some, sometimes you can't simulate the real thing. Oh man. Hot take. <laughs> I guess X, uh, that X trans noise just isn't good enough. Gotta wow, go film. Geez, yeah. So, so I was like, well, I don't, I feel like if, you know, if I wanted to try something totally different, if I was going to shoot film, I should definitely shoot medium format. Obviously. So I've been I've been doing a lot of research into medium format cameras and like understanding some of the lingo. So I now I can I'm like at the camera store and like leaning against a pole and like looking into a glass case and someone's like, Oh, what you looking at over there? I'm like, Oh yeah, there's got this uh this uh six seven uh meet medium format guy over there and uh, you know, a little little bigger than a six four or five, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, I'm really cool now. <laughs> and I haven't bought a medium format camera. 
I own I own two thirty five millimeter film cameras, mm-hmm. uh, Canon AE one and a, a Minolta something three three seven hand me downs basically. Yeah, right? one was my dad's camera, one was my grandfather's camera, mm-hmm. and. I last time I tried to shoot on film was in 2011, 2001. <laughs> nope, sorry, I said that wrong. 2021. Okay, that's that's a lot different. <laughs> a lot different. Twenty years later, it was like two years ago or so, and I never finished the roll. And so I have this like a half of a roll that's in an AE one that's probably bad by now. I don't know how that works. And I had a roll that's been sitting on my shelf for two years that's definitely bad because it wasn't like in a refrigerator or mm. something. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Yeah, so I'm like, well. Since I'm into film now, I should probably shoot some stuff on film. And so I've been trying to work through a roll of film this weekend in the Minolta, which I've never shot with before. And yeah. And now you're a film bro. Well, I mean, maybe. No. Well, we'll see how they turn out. I think <laughs> I think like one of the biggest problems of shooting film is it is just like how hard it is to see them see the pictures later. well uh, that's a good question so if i if i shot a roll of film now what would be the easiest way for me to get it developed i don't actually know the answer to this so i'm curious so i also don't know the answer to this yeah that's it like can you can you take it to like walmart i mean do they still do film i mean i think there's a still a few places around that'll do like one hour or whatever probably not one hour most of the time like depending on you want to hmm. I think that there's probably some like camera stores or bespoke places that are for film for developing film. And you probably want to take it there because those people care. Does our local camera store offer that? I bet they do. Yes, they do. Which is where I was going to cost. Developed. It's going to cost more. Oh like, yeah, definitely. Like we've, we've passed the days where you could take it to Walgreens and get it done super cheap. Right. So I feel like if I was going to become a person that shoots on film, I would want to develop it myself. And then like now I'm shooting and developing my own film and then I have to figure out how to scan it. And I don't know, Daniel, I think my main That's a problem, whole thing. I think my main problem with this whole situation is that I have to shoot 28 shots before I can even see the first one. Yep. <sighs> and they're expensive. So you don't want to just like fire well, through the roll. No, you can't. That's like 20, 20. I mean, maybe I don't care about money. I'm just going to like click, click, click. Treat it like, treat it like a digital camera. Shoot, yeah. You know, there 28 you shots of just one thing. Yeah. Just do a burst. It's a yeah, single burst. Exactly. Shot. That's basically video at that yeah. point. Yeah. Anyway. So, like, I think the good thing so far that I'm realizing about shooting on film is, like, it forces you to be intentional. Sure. Because, for one, like, you have to manually focus, and it's exhausting. <laughs> and then you have to think about, like, how are you going to expose it? And I'm still, you know, a total casual in that, like, I don't have a separate light meter, and I was letting it, like, auto-shutter on all the stuff. And I'm like, maybe this will turn out. Who knows? Uh, but, like, you have to manually focus it, and then you have to, like, f- make sure your framing is exactly right. And I think the hardest thing is that there's like you have to look through the little viewfinder because it's an SLR, sure, single lens reflex, yeah. And like I'm used to taking pictures where I'm like looking down. This is why I think medium format is the right choice for me because I can have like the little top down thing mm-hmm. viewer. And I can like hold it waist level and I can like look down into the camera. Well, you do, like that, that. you do that because you're freakishly tall. And if you took a picture at eye level, it would just be like you're right. Looking exactly. Down at if I'm if I'm shooting waist waist to chest level. That's like the perfect height for most people. Yeah. So, you know, that's how I want to shoot. But like now with this mirror, with this SLR tile camera, I'm having to like hold it up to my eyes. So I'm like, like creeping down. 
and like like squatting awkwardly. I'm like look like the yeah. guy from that concert that I went to. Yeah. Well, yeah. like taking pictures with a film camera. Or you're like on your knees taking all these pictures. It's just it look it's just so bad. I'm just mm. like leaning over, elbows out. I'm like, now hold still. And then I'm trying to like hold this position while trying to manual focus. And it's just a mess. <laughs> You're not selling me on this idea right now. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, like, it's been a struggle, and I feel like whenever I get those those pictures developed, man, it's going to be not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but that film grain's going to look so good. <sighs> it's probably going to look really bad. I don't know. I I'm I think I'm going to be happy that I gave it another shot. Yeah. Well, and then maybe maybe I'm going to love it. Maybe I'll get these back and I'm like, wow. This is this is me now, and then I'm gonna buy that. Uh, what's the name of that brand? It's not Minolta. It's my, my, Miami, Miami, Miami. <laughs> yes, Miami, Miami, Mamiya. Help me, six, four, five. Yeah. See, I'm, t- I'm clearly not into this enough because I can't remember the name of this brand. I'm just gonna get me a Mamiya six, four, five, and then maybe that will be cool enough. Maybe. It's less pictures. It's like twelve shots. Yeah. Yeah, but they, I mean, the film's probably more expensive to get developed, oh, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like, it's like super expensive. Like, how much is super expensive? Oh, I think like, it's just like not that bad. You can get a five, a box of five, 12 rolls for like $60 or something. But that's to buy the film. That's not to develop the oh, film. Oh, to get the film developed? Oh, I have yeah. no idea. I haven't looked that up. I'm just saying, if, if these, these super, super, oh, sorry, I got confused with my favorite uh, size of, uh, you know, sensor slash film <laughs> if these 35 millimeter photos come back and they're like super duper good and i'm just like man i really love this this whole experience maybe i'm gonna take the plunge maybe i'll find like a pentax 645 that would be cool mm-hmm. shoot on pentax and then you'll be in medium format world yeah and like daniel you know the gfx camera that's coming out yeah that gfx yep. 100 mark ii that's gonna be this it's going to blow everyone's socks off and like Panasonic isn't going to release the S1H Mark II this year mm-hmm. and then we're going to have to declare the GFX 100 Mark II camera of the year 2023. You know that camera? I, I don't know if I agree with everything you said, but I do know that camera. <laughs> Smaller sensor than a 645. Yeah. I mean, we're talking we're talking like half, right? It's it's like in the 5, 50 centimeters. It's like 50 millimeters by like 40 something what millimeters What kind of filthy something. casual would want that? I don't, that's what I'm saying. Daniel, like if you're shooting film, you can go out there, you can shoot like six, seven. It's crazy. Crazy. It's like four times as big as, <laughs> as, as 35 millimeter. Well, think about how small that grain mm-hmm. would be. I look forward to hearing an update on this whenever mm-hmm. you finally finish that roll of film and get those shots back. Well, I, mean, it took, I still haven't finished the first one. Yeah. My goal is to finish both of these rolls, which are now both half shot. So I need to like walk around with one on one arm oh. and one camera on the other Wedding arm. Wedding photographer style. Yeah, dude, but with like two film cameras. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I'll finish up those rolls. There you go. Okay. I'll, I'll report Good back. Luck. Good luck. <laughs> Can we talk about something that was made this century? No. Oh, man. Maybe. Uh, uh, wait. Sorry. I forgot that I have this whole other segment that's also about old stuff. It's oh, gonna my be really gosh. Fun. But let me give you one more one update real quick. Uh, you know that Fuji X app? Not the other, like, like, it's a good thing I prefaced. We're not talking about the X app. We're talking about the X app. Oh, obviously, yeah. Okay. They updated it, and now you don't have to give it all of your location permission to use it. Oh, so this is the one that they updated recently, mm-hmm. and it had, like, because they were supporting geotagging, 
whether you were using geotagging or not, you had to give it location, full-time location permissions on your phone. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And so they've changed that now? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so you can now use the Fujifilm camera application to transfer your photos off of your camera without giving it full-time location access. Oh, okay. Which, cool. You know, some people wanted that. Some people just wanted to use it as like a camera, whatever, or, you know, photo transfer app. They didn't want to use a geotagging feature, and this was like a huge deal breaker for them. Yeah, it's nice to not have to do that. Yeah, so Fuji seems like they were listening, and they fixed it. Cool. And I think that was like the main thing of the update, but to me, that was a big enough thing that there's people out there who weren't purposely not using mm-hmm. this application because of how they were handing those permissions, and so... No longer a problem. That's good. I mean, it took them a while to do that. Um, I think they released that app maybe back in May. Yeah, they did. And so, yeah, pretty long time. Yeah, it, was, it was probably an app review that whole time. <laughs> probably. Glad they did that. That's good. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. Ba- back on the old stuff. Oh, all right. Here we go. Here we go. All right. What do you got? Here we go. Okay. This is this is my new segment, which I know that we already have three segments. That's a lot of and segments. We were pretty set on like that we were going to call it the triangle of, triangle of diffusion, mm-hmm. and then we had a movie corner, and we had a lens corner, and then we had a third thing that I'm blanking on. A third corner. Mm-hmm. What was it? What's our other segment? Legendary lenses. Lucas's movie corner. Oh, all right. Sometimes we get photography tips. We have sure. like we have this photography tip corner. You know what? I think I'm just gonna get. We're gonna retire that segment. Oh man, that corner's gone. Yeah, we're getting rid of that. So we'll still get photography tips every so often, but no longer a segment. It's not longer a sanctioned segment. <laughs> I'm, I'm kicking that out. I'm only here for the unsanctioned content. <laughs> That's now why I do the show. We're bringing in this new corner. Okay? okay. And in this in this segment, I'm going to uh, describe to you an old cinema camera. Something that's like it's going to be a digital cinema camera, right? None of these, none of this, this film garbage, and it's probably going to be manufactured, you know, with the very beginning of whatever. Because I'm doing these deep dives on like old cameras and what could shoot raw wind and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like 2006 to 2015, you know, okay, that, that decade, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe I'll do newer stuff. I don't know, Daniel. This is this is all very new to me going to describe it to you and make you feel like you really need this camera in your life and then i'm going to give you three movies and you have to tell me which movie was shot on this camera okay Sounds i don't know good. how you're going to know this i don't know how as we just dis- as we discussed previously it's uh we're on like a 40 to 1 ratio yeah. on movies right now and so-, <laughs> so this is probably not going to go really well okay i want to talk to you about the sony pmw f55 cine alta okay i don't know if this is the fifth version of the cine alta but they do seem to be doing like this. Um, they come out with the four, then they come out with the four five, oh. and the five. And so the you five, don't five. think it's not the fifty fifth version? No, the five is just like here's the like the the cheaper, smaller version okay. of this other camera. Okay, wasn't there a Sony F four five that we talked about a few weeks ago? Yeah, probably. I feel like there was. That would be on the same. Was that was just, the one they shot that um that that weird like, halftime walk show. Yeah, that thing, the three D mm, yep three D movie in four. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the current current camera of this is like the the cine alta pmw f65 which was replaced by the venice okay they're currently on the venice 2 right. so this is like venice 2 venice f65 f55 so we're like four generations back at okay. least and but the f55 is still pretty decent that if you're shoot, doing a shoot that has an f65 in it a lot of times they will also have an f55 oh, like as a like a b camera or they'll shoot this one scene in it or that sort of thing okay so you can find these puppies used, you know, depending upon how much rig is on it, 
in the two to four thousand dollar range. Hmm, that's so, not too bad. You might be able to find it for the similar prices like a rigged out XH2S. Okay, but what kind of specs are we looking at? On All right, this thing? so this thing can shoot. It can shoot four two two four K. Uh, you know, six hundred megabit per second. So kind of like comparable to current mirrorless cameras. But you can also buy this like mount thing that slaps on the back of it, and then that enables it to shoot in raw. Oh, yeah. Interesting. What does it record to? What kind of media? Uh, it's, it's, it was confusing and I can't oh, tell okay. you. It's like, I like these weird cards. It's just like a Mac mini that you slap on the back. <laughs> I mean, like it's a box that just kind of extends it. Okay. But it like, then they have a newer version of that that also does like different things. But apparently like, you put this module on the back and now you can shoot 16 bit raw wow. on this, you know, camera that came out in 2013, 2014. Cool. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got, it's like a global shutter, 1250 base ISO. Pretty, pretty decent little camera, yeah. like 16 stops of dynamic range. Sounds kind of neat. I'm just saying, like, you got this legit cinema camera. It's got PL mount on it. And you can probably go find one of these things for, you know, in like the $3,000 range. Like, you get to, like, you can go out there and shoot yourself a movie. Yeah. Seems like a pretty pretty sharp camera. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, so, anything else you want to know about it? I don't think so. No. I was, I was pretty excited about it. Like, I like yeah, these. That's pretty neat. Yeah. I, I want... I want something like this. I want like a like a box style, like dedicated video camera that's like kind of a cinema camera. Do you think you would buy something older like this, or would you? Does is it like if you're just looking at specs, like frame rate, resolution, bit rate, is it worth it to you to get something like this for other reasons, or like does it have to exceed what your XH2S can do? For me, I think that it would need to shoot 4K RAW and have a global sensor. Or a fast reading sensor, but to me, it's like those are the two big things. You that's know? what you're, that's what you're looking to yeah. get out of a cinema camera. Mm-hmm. And like global sensor, you're going to sacrifice on dynamic range. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I can get better dynamic range, I'm okay with a rolling sensor. But yeah, something like a cinema camera that like that's what I'm looking for is like what can I get that shoots raw? Which like my my X-H2S can shoot raw, mm-hmm. but it's like what can you get that has that four 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 chroma subsampling? Yeah, as previously advertised, I'm now a four 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 guy. <laughs> <laughs> you suddenly decided that over the weekend. <laughs> yep. Well, it's all that green screen stuff I'm shooting. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yep. Okay. The thing I'm kind of interested in with cinema cameras is, you know, like you always hear, you always hear that like there's reasons to use a cinema camera and that it's just like made for pro workflows or whatever. And some of that stuff's obvious, like if you have SDI outputs or whatever. But I think what I wonder is if cinema cameras have the same software quality as mirrorless cameras. Because I feel like, the cameras you and I have used have a lot of like weird little bugs and just like quirks in how they work. And I wonder if there's more of that in cinema cameras because it's such a like smaller market or if they're just way more polished and stable and all that. I think it's more of like they're dependable. They don't necessarily overheat and they have all of the features, like the extra features that you need for integration into your entire other team. So for like connecting your first AC's follow focus stuff and running time code and, you know, integrating with the audio and all this sort of thing. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yep. I mean, look, look at this bad boy, Daniel. Just look at it. I mean, that looks way more pro. You've got like yeah, an EVF on there. Mm-hmm. You've got some sort of V-mount style battery on the back. That's looking, that's that's, looking good. That's the module I'm talking about. That's oh, on the back okay. Right okay. Yep. I thought that was a battery. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So, uh, that, that, yeah, that looks good. Really describing this well for the audio content. Any camera that has a built-in carry handle, I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. PL mount. 
I think that you can swap out, like it has a base mount on it and then you can mount other mounts to it. Yeah, that's another thing that I feel like you see that on cinema cameras, you don't really see it on mm-hmm. normal stuff. Yeah, it's like an F, it's like FE or something like that. I forget exactly what it is, but it's like this really big, big mount. And mm. then it's the mount is specifically for mounting mounts. Mounting mounts. <laughs> that way you can like, instead of, cause like for the Ursa's, you have to unscrew the stupid thing, like mm. take the whole mount off and put the whole mount on. This one's like mechanically simple as far as, you know, mounting other mounts. Cool. Okay. That's neat. There's three movies. We got Tomorrowland, the 2014 Robocop, or Birdman. Which of those three movies do you think had some scenes shot on a BMW F85 Cine Alta? When I read this in the notes, I thought that said Batman instead of Birdman. And I realized Batman and Birdman, almost the same thing. Very similar. Wings. Yes. Yeah. Both yeah. kind of superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am going to guess... Out of these three movies, Tomorrowland. That's correct. Nice. Nailed it. Good job, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. You have a... It's because I'm a movie expert, Lucas. That's <laughs> how I knew that. That's what it is, yeah. yeah. It's all it's all that trivia that you did. So tell me what the other two were shot on. Oh, I don't remember. You don't remember? Come on. That's fine. They're not they weren't they weren't shot on. They were that's, shot on Aerie. That's not part Everything of it. <laughs> was shot on Aerie. <laughs> that's true. It's not part it's not part of this segment, Daniel. <laughs> What is a part of the segment is that movie that I watched yesterday, Annihilation, was shot on the F-65, but there was one scene that they also shot on this camera, the F-55. Were you able to pick out that scene? No. I guess obviously not. I guess it's a good B cam then. (laughs) Yep. But they, they, it's like this, they have like go into this whatever thing. Yeah. You can't be spoiling this man. Come come on. But they shot the, the parts of the movie in the thing with a red camera and then they shot the stuff that wasn't in the thing with these sony's cameras because the sony cameras have like a more kind of like naturalistic smoother look to them and mm-hmm. the reds are a little more like uh, harsher and like sharper and very Clinical. like digital. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly so and they so, did that as a stylistic choice mm-hmm, That's where it's, yeah where it's not like like the colors are kind of basically the same like it doesn't look dramatically different but it's a different enough that it, it feels different huh. although that was a cool choice yeah, it is a cool choice i like that it reminds me that I was going to talk to you about uh, all of the like all, all of the names of red cameras. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty they're pretty ridiculous. It sounds like an eleven year old named all of their stuff. Oh boy, it's tough, man. Because like, they have this like, one's the V Raptor. Well, they have like the name. The, every sensor has a name. Yeah, but then like the camera itself has a name, and mm-hmm. so you run into things where it's like, here's the oh no, I'm not going to get one wrong, and I'm not, I'm not, it's not going to be good because they have the oh geez. Well, like they had like the something like, raptor. Didn't and they then, have like the red epic, and then there's like the epic scarlet or something? Yeah, like, that's is that what like I'm thinking a, of. Is that like a sensor uh, camera combo? Yes, it's like the scarlet dragon, and then like the epic dragon 8K yeah, or something. Then, like, I think the I've Helium. heard of those. I mean, you and me are too poor to really care about red cameras, so we haven't necessarily done much research into them. But their names just seem ridiculous. And they have like, I think. I think the Monstro, is that a sensor? That's right, yeah. So the, the sensors that they've had, they've had the Mysterium, the Dragon, the Monster, Gemini, Helium, and the current one is the V-Raptor, I believe. So the V-Raptor is a sensor? Right, the V-Raptor is a sensor. I thought that was a camera. They, well, it is, because there's the V-Raptor 8K, oh, okay. which I think, and they also have the V-Raptor that is Super 35, so... Do you think there's a guy at their company where all he does is come up with names? Maybe. Like they just they just open his door once every three years and they're like, give us a name. And he's like, Monstro. I mean, it, it is a little like 
It's better than some of the other names. Last week we talked about the A seven C two and the A seven C R and how they have compared to the A seven R five and the A seven four. And all of that is still better than the product names that Samsung uses for like a TV. Well, sure. I'm just saying from purely from a camera's perspective, maybe it's easier to understand the Scarlet Dragon and the Epic Dragon. And mm-hmm. one's a Scarlet camera, one's an Epic camera. They're both in the DSMC one camera universe. And uh the Centers are dragons. Is there a difference between a camera universe and a cinematic universe? Well, uh, you, can't, about cinema cameras. you can't see the cinematic universe unless you're looking at it through a camera universe. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that for like, a while. It's like a lens of sorts. <laughs> I think we've lost the thread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not even worth trying to find a way back. Just yeah. uh, move on. Yeah, okay. All right. Quick little news update before we move on with this episode. So Deity announced recently that the Theos uh, audio system is going to be delayed. And this was a little bit surprising to me because we, and I thought we'd mention it because we've talked about that system a couple of times in recent weeks, but it was supposed to release in the middle of September, which as we record this is like right there. And I've really been looking forward to seeing reviews on this stuff, but they announced on Twitter today that they're going to be pushing it back to the end of October. And I think that the way that they announced that on Twitter was uh, pretty graceful. You know, I really appreciate them maybe taking the extra time, add a few features, and not rushing it out the door. Because, I mean, there's I'm sure they're under a lot of pressure of, like, an extra month of sales. I mean, that's probably a big number. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, their announcement, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes, but, I mean, they basically said... They want to take some extra time to improve the performance and stability of it. They're adding antenna diversity to the receiver. And yeah, I mean, like I, I also appreciated the transparency there. And I mean, it's just, it was nice to see somebody to not just say, you know, oh, it's supply chain issues. And like, sure, maybe it is. Maybe this is marketing spin. We don't know. But I don't know. I mean, if this is why it's delayed, I think it's a good reason. And end of October isn't that long to wait. No. So if we get a better product, I think it's worth it. Extra 30 days and good announcement, good public interface, I think. I don't, I mean, posted it on Twitter, but yeah, that's all good. Where, yeah. where else you can get the news out, I guess. So are we supposed to call it X? I think we're supposed to call it X, but it's like nobody knows what that means. So They're, Especially on this podcast, we already talked about the Fuji app. Yeah. That's going to get real confusing. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, see. Yeah. Well. I, I mean, I, I just call it the app formerly known as Twitter. That's, I do like that. Okay. Anyway, cool. Yeah. It's yeah. coming. Get ready. Yep. Looking looking forward to seeing reviews. It's going to be real disappointing if it's not good. Oh, man. It sure would. We're going to come back to this and be like, should have pushed farther. What were they thinking? Imagine what they could do if they went to November 1st. Oh, jeez. That's going to be real embarrassing. Yeah. No, I think it'll be good. I I trust them. They make uh, well-known audio gear, and they're they're clearly like trying to push into that pro market. So. Mm-hmm. I do own one microphone from them, and it's that duo thing. Yeah, and that's been pretty good for you, I think, right? It has been okay. (laughs) Have you had actual problems with it? Every time I use it, and I use it in the dual mode, it's whenever I'm going to edit something on my iPad, because it's just simple, and you can't individually resolve on the iPad, convert stereo audio to mono audio. It's kind of annoying. And whenever you use the dual microphone, it puts one onto the right channel and one onto the left channel. Sure. And I find that annoying because I rarely want to 
like left and right split the front and back of the camera. Mm. And so it just like adds an extra step. Yeah. You'd rather it just merge into one? Sure. Hmm. I guess. I don't know. I guess it's better that it is two tracks. This feels like a resolve problem, not a deity problem to me, I guess. Yeah, it is. It's definitely not a deity Because you want them to be separate tracks because maybe you need the volume to be different. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Unless you and the person you're filming are the same distance from the camera, which is a really awkward situation to imagine. <laughs> that's why we shoot everything on 12 millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, let's talk about this light. Okay. We've been trying to talk about this light for a long time, haven't we? It's been on, Daniel, this has been on the on the docket for weeks. <laughs> Many weeks. Just keep pushing it down. The, it's been on the docket for over a month. Yeah, well, month. it's a good thing that I took this whole segment on cook lenses and then like, put it at the bottom. Yep, which is really, that's that's a lot of restraint Man, on your part. I put it above this and then mm-hmm. I thought about it and I'm like, we, we got to We got to talk about this. We got to get this thing off yeah. it. We, we just, we're just going to, we got to muscle through it. Everyone's going to just be bored. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah, man, I we got to do it all this time. I had a whole month to prepare. I did not practice how to say the name of the company because nobody knows how to say the name of this company. Yeah, I just keep calling it Modulus. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not what I mean. I <laughs> mean, it's the company name, oh, not the product name. Is it not by Jiayun? Yeah, so it is Jiayun, but like the way you pronounce that is like, like it's very, it's a Chinese name and it's very hard to get it right. And you see all these videos on youtube of people like gerald at you know these camera events and he goes mm-hmm. up to the guy from the company he's like how do you say the name of this company and the guy says jayun and then gerald says jayun and then the guy says no it's jayun gerald's like jayun the guy's like <laughs> close enough and i just can't hear the difference but anyway yeah it's just one of those things yes yes so that company it's all about the inflection at the end and you just yes. gotta you just gotta get yeah. it right yeah well i'm I, i'm trying um, anyway, so they have this Molus X100 light. It came out in April or so. We talked about it on the show when it came out. Yeah, yeah, just, it came out whenever they came out with that super cute COB. Yeah. It's like the size of your fist. Yeah, and this one was interesting too because it's like, it's basically like the size of an iPhone Pro Max, like a, you know, a large smartphone. Yeah, but like thicker, like, yeah. like three C's. Thicker, but not that much thicker. Like it's that form factor. It's right. It's like thin and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a weird form factor for mm-hmm. light. So that came out like back in April. I got one in July because uh, we had some shoots coming up and I wanted another light. And so I've used that for a while and I thought it'd be cool to give a short review of it. All right. Hit me with it. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. All right. So general, you know, general impressions, definitely positive. Uh, it, it's reliable. It's quiet. I was a little bit worried about that. I thought maybe the fan would be a little loud, but I ran it on full blast for like an hour and it was fine. Um, could, couldn't even hear the fan, so no problems there. All right. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it powers on reliably. You can set the brightness as you'd expect and all that. I mean, like, so all uh, it's by color. So right. you are can, the controls annoying in that, like, okay, now I have to, I want to change the color. So I got to hold down this button and then it switches into the just different mode. So now I have to press these other buttons. You, you have an amusing other problem with that. So it, it's much better in that, in the sense that it has two separate knobs. So you have the bicolor knob and the, uh, and the brightness knob. Okay. So you don't have to do any weird, like, button presses to get to what you want. But the problem I have with it is that if I have it way up on a light stand and I'm like reaching up to adjust the setting, you know, I can't, I can't like see what's written on the back of the light. Right, I right, don't know right. which knob is which. So I just end up twisting a knob and hoping for the best. Mm. Um, so that's a little bit of a pain. That's not ideal. But in general, it's good. Um, 
one thing I really like about the light is that it comes, I mean, they sell it in these different kits, but I got the kit that had most of the things. And one of the things that it has is rechargeable USB-C battery that clicks into the side of the light. And I mean, it's like, you could use it like a grip if you wanted to, but yeah, that thing's interesting looking. Yeah. And it's like a 67 watt hour battery. So it actually has more capacity than my little V mount battery that I use with my camera rig sometimes. Really? And it's, it's chargeable with USB-C PD. Mm -hmm. You can use it as a portable battery if you want. It has a USB-C output on it, but you can just use it to power this light. And I found that to be really handy. Like, I don't use it on our big shoots. I just plug plug it into wall power for that. But if I'm just trying to shoot something around the house, if I need to get like some B-roll quickly or if I'm taking some photos and I need some light, I've found that really handy to just have this little tiny battery that I can pop on the side of the light and like it can well, power I, it for, I think you can power it for 30 minutes at full power. That's um, impressive. And you know, it's a hundred watt light. I'm rarely using it at full power. So that's so you been can, like, handy. Pop out that cute little soft box, slap on the battery, and like hold this up with one hand and hold your camera in the you other could. hand. You sure could. Just like, yeah. kinda, like, I don't know how to describe what I'm doing right now. Yeah. You're just waving your arms around yep. kind of mm-hmm. wildly. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Um, the little soft box, I, I got the soft box just because it was cute. I couldn't not get the little soft box. I mean, it's just, uh, it's adorable. It's but just so tiny. It's so small, though, that. It kind of, I, for most of the stuff I've used it for, I've felt like it's worth it to pull out a larger softbox. Yeah, sure. And it does the thing where it has the separate Bowen mount where the Bowen mount connects to the your C stand or whatever, your light stand. And then you mount the softbox to the Bowen and you mount the light to the Bowen. That's right. Rather than having to hope that the light box doesn't rip the, rip yeah. the light apart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's, that's an added accessory that, again, came with my kit but you need that if you want to use a full-size softbox sure and i have a couple of problems with that that's one of the things i don't like about the light as much i mean the the system works fine but one problem with it is it's made of plastic right which i don't love because because kind of my whole benefit that i saw to that thing was what you just said where it's like i don't have to worry about the softbox ripping this thing out is but the whole light body plastic? Not the is the mount plastic? Well, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Bowen's mount. Oh. The light is a combination of plastic and metal, but the okay. Bowen's mount is plastic. Ugh. And so it just doesn't make me feel good. I mean, I, I've used a four foot softbox with it and it's been fine, but I sure it would feel better if that was made out of aluminum. Yeah, but you're not like hanging power cords and stuff off the back of that thing just because like you you couldn't it can't really hold it can hold its own weight and that's part about it yeah yeah Mm. the other problem with that uh, adapter thing is it has a little thumb screw that you use to secure it to the light stand so it's like you set it on the light stand and you have this little thumb screw you tighten and that screw is really small and there's nothing to capture it like in the mount so you have to almost completely remove it to get the mount onto the light stand and then you like screw this little thing in to to Mm. lock it down on there is this screw is it metal screwing into plastic no, no, it, oh, okay, it is good. screwing into metal, but like it's just this little tiny thumb screw. It's yeah, really and, like, easy you're to gonna, use. you're gonna lose it. Well, and I did lose it you after did. our last <laughs> shoot, and we luckily found it in one of your light bags. Right. I thought I thought I was just gonna have to find a new thumb screw somewhere. Jeez. So it's just a bad design. They they could have done better with that. It doesn't feel like that part is made for professional work. Does it have like a any sort of piece on it where you could like thread uh, some string or like tie some string around it and then? Tie that I to think the I might be so able you, to. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to figure something like that. Yeah, out. That way, like if you drop it, it just yeah. it's always still on the light. Yeah, but I shouldn't have to. You know, like no, you shouldn't have to, but you kind of should. Yeah, yeah, should do it. The other thing that 
uh, kind of kind of along the same lines. The other part of it that feels like it's not made for pro work is the power cord situation. So mm. if you want to power it from the wall, like probably the most reasonable way to do it is with the included DC power thing. You know, it's like an AC plug and then has a little you know DC brick and then you have a barrel jack connector that plugs into the light. The problem I have with it is that that barrel jack is on the bottom of the light. And it turns out if you have this thing and you plug it into the bottom of the light and you have the light up on a stand. Oh, does it lose? Does the power cable slide out? Well, because if, if you just had the DC, you know, transformer brick thing hanging mm-hmm. from it, it's heavy enough that it just pulls that thing right out just, just immediately. Oh, no. So they give you a solution to this problem, which is that there's like a little mesh bag included with the light. That has a hole in the bottom and the top and the bottom. And so like you can, it's made so that you, you can put that transformer brick into the bag and it like hangs in the bag and you can hang the bag on the light stand. And that's stupid. Daniel. It's stupid. And I, no, it, it doesn't make sense. Your Godox light has a much larger, you know, like control, control right. brick thing. Uh-huh. And that has a built in like wire right. hanger thing so you can hang it on the stand. Which and, I'm fine with that. That works fine. This thing, I'm just like, I have to have this extra little bag with this light, and if I don't have that for some reason, I just have to have this thing pull out. Why didn't they put that DC thing on the side of the light? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's not like, well, probably because of, of waiting or something, I guess. Yeah. But it's not like the, the Godox also in that my Godox has a, what looks like an XLR cable, but actually has four prongs in it, which is confusing sometimes. But like, I could get a different cable that's even longer to separate the light from the from the box the control box then the control box itself has a v-mount on it that yep. i can use to power the light or i can mm-hmm. plug it into ac yeah yeah but for this one is is the power cable removable from that uh dc uh i think i can't remember i think it is two separate things i don't know if you could get a longer power cable or not but mm. um you know it just the whole thing kind of feels like it's not made for use on like a professional set interesting like it it doesn't feel like it's in the same all all of these things like the the power situation as well right, as yeah. the the Bowens thing and for one it, it doesn't say aperture on the side if, uh, absolutely mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's made for a professional film set and all these issues are things you can work around and I have solutions to all of them and I've used this on big shoots but it just feels like this product is perfect for doing stuff around the house or like if you're a YouTuber by yourself trying to shoot videos stuff sure. like that. I am super happy with the light for that. It's the first thing I go and grab when I need to shoot something around the house. But also it's like super, super small. And so just for transportability or if you're trying to pack a whole setup and like you're going to go travel somewhere or and like do things in the field or documentary stuff or whatever, super portable. Yeah. Yeah. And like you and I saw an Aperture 300D used this weekend at a a camera store sale. And that thing is huge. So like, like for 100 watts, this light is great. And it's super portable. It's super like quick and easy to get up and, and running with. So I like it for those reasons, but it's not, I don't think it's a replacement for like a powerful LED light with those professional right, features. Yeah, no replacement for displacement. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Well, that would mean that the aperture is big. Never mind. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's my review. Uh, overall happy with it, but it's kind of like you need to know what you're using it for, I think. Okay. All right. Are you glad? I guess I was going to ask you, like, you know, you got this one over the, the 60 watt. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes sense, right? 100 watts, pretty pretty good middle ground, yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mostly got it for that. Well, I got it for the battery and for the brightness. And, 
in hindsight, I am really glad I got the 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 one I did because it has that battery and that for what I want to use it for, that's a really nice added feature. But you know, I think now that I have this one, I would consider the sixty if I needed a second light that was equally portable. And does it have its own app or does it tie into like the Sidious stuff? No, it has its own app. Yeah, so that's a downside. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, and that's really the only way to kind of modulate it. Remotely, yeah, yeah, like that is the only way to use it remotely. Okay, so that's a downside. So this this thing is like fourteen centimeters by like nine by three, yeah, right. So it's it's fairly small, right? Fourteen by ten, three inches, three sorry, inches, three centimeters, right? I mentioned this because we talked about that three hundred D. We talked about this thing. There's another one just came out, the G two hundred, and that one another new light from Shion from Shion. And that one can do 300 watts. Wow. Right? And that one is uh, 12 by 7 by 22. So, so like, it, it's not even that much bigger. Yeah. Right? Trying to do the math. The, it's the, like 4 the centimeters. Longest one is, the longest one's 22 versus 14. Longest yeah. Dimension. 22 versus 14. And then the other one is uh, 9 versus uh, nine versus 12. Yeah. So it's like maybe if I'm going to start mixing units, it's maybe like a few inches bigger in each dimension. Mm-hmm but it's nowhere near like 300D size. And so if you like that size light and this uh, you know, G100, they just come out with a G200. Yeah. So why is it called the G200, but it can go up to 300 watts? Oh, Explain boy. that. Yeah. I haven't figured it out yet. Costs 380 bucks. It's a, it says 200 on it, so it's like here's a 200-watt equivalent light. right? It's not going to pull 200 watts of power, I assume, mm-hmm. but it does like 96,000 lutz or whatever. And, you know, you can set it, you know, between, you know, zero and a hundred percent for its zero to 200 watt brightness. Okay. But then it has this like turbo mode or whatever, like max output or, or, or extreme output mode. This is like how old computers used to have a turbo button on them. It's mm-hmm. like, why wouldn't you just press that all the time? Like, yeah. And like, it's not clear to me that if you can, mo- if you can sh- modulate between like 200 watts and the extreme output, which is just in scare quotes. But if you need it, you can hit this like you know turbo button, and it will do a 300 watt equivalent, huh. which is pretty nuts. That and they're like, cool. we have enough headroom on this thing that you can run it at 50 percent more capacity if you need <laughs> yeah, to. That seems like a lot. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but I thought it was uh, it's pretty interesting that like you know usually it's like hey here's your here's our 60 here's our 150 here's our 300. This is their 300 basically. Yeah, pretty cool. Now, do you know if this one has a Bowens mount on it, or does it have the same smaller mount that they have on their other lights? From what I can tell, it actually has a Bowens mount on it. Uh, that's an interesting shift because you know the other two have this. I think it's called like the ZY mount, maybe, mm-hmm. and they've got some some accessories for it. They have like a little reflector and softbox and stuff. But I mean, most professional modifiers are Bowens, right? And so it would make sense for this to have a Bowens because if you're if you're wanting something with two to three hundred watts of output power. You probably want a bigger softbox. Right, right. So it, it is Bowen's. It is bicolor. It's got like a 95 CRI. Mm-hmm. One of the big differences here is this one is not battery powered. Whereas the M100 and the whatever is 60 COB, whatever they call it, those are battery powered. You yeah, can, you, you can, can even, power them off USB-C. Yeah, you or, can like plug in a power bank to them. Mm-hmm. And as long as it'll be like, what's the, what's the USB-C rating on that power bank? That's how many watts you get, which is pretty cool. This one. Hard, you had to hard line it in. Yeah, you can't even mount like a V mount to it. It's, uh, it's, it's just power, which is like AC power. Yeah. Well, uh, and you said you said it's uh, three hundred eighty. So 
price yeah, yeah, three eighty. Okay. So I mean, that price is pretty reasonable. This seems like it's trying to compete in a little bit more of a, like it's competing against like Godox and stuff like that. Uh, and small rig makes lights now, actually. Yeah, but these, and Amaran. These like, seem to be some of the smallest lights that I've seen. Yeah, and so yeah. it's cool that like you know if you need compact lighting solutions and like you're not doing lighting panels, but you need, you know, uh, what are these kind of what are these lights called? Well, I mean, it's basically like a point a point source cob light. I mean, yeah, 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 like that that kind of thing where you're gonna maybe put like a, a modifier on it mm-hmm. or shoot it into a, I don't know, into like a book light or something, but yeah. you're not doing like panel style. These are some of the smaller versions of that yeah. that I've seen. So, like, you're looking for something portable. I feel like this Jiayun line is a is a pretty good, so. pretty good option. I mean, and you've had a good experience with the M100, apart from the or the X100, mm-hmm. apart from all like the weird little extra things. And so, I mean, I have no reason to not think that this G200 is like you know a good addition to yeah. that line. A couple things. One, I mean, I think anybody can appreciate having smaller lights. Like, even if you feel like you know I'm doing these big shoots and you know I can take. You know, I've got a truck. I can put all my gear in. Like, the nice thing about smaller lights is it's fewer bags to carry down to wherever you're shooting at. I mean, it's been nice in some of these shoots that, you know, we can fit a lot of lights in, like, pretty small cases. And that's just easier to carry it around rather than having, like, all these big containers and stuff. Definitely. That's nice. I do want to say, though, don't really understand the way they name these things. They've got the G60. I guess they do have the G60 and the G200. Right. But those are like, those are very different lights. Like mm-hmm. the 60 has the ZY mount and the 200 has a Bowens mount. And then the one I have is not the G100. It's the X100. Right. And I, like, why is that? Is it because of that different design? I don't know. There's I mean, this- like, maybe you want to blame it on the form factor, but also the, like, there's, there is no difference, right? The, yeah. the G60 is battery powered and it's a box style. And then yours is like this weird with the fan off to the side battery deal mm-hmm. that's an x and then the g200 is a similar style to yours but it's not battery powered and it's like there's no there's no through thread yeah they need to lock down this uh this model name thing yeah. i don't know maybe there's gonna be a g100 you maybe don't know so. g150 i don't know sure you gotta yeah. leave the options open i guess yeah anyway cool lights yeah i, I, th- I thought so too just want to yeah. bring it up i guess yeah yeah it's neat to see uh new new stuff in that line i mean jayun's kind of new to this lighting game but i i like what they're doing Cool. All right. I don't know what this next thing on here is. Do you know what this is? I don't know if we really want to talk about that. That's, that's my tube light, but we haven't used that very much. So right. let's put that one off. Skip straight over that puppy. And I want to talk about Fujifilm. You want to talk about Fujifilm? Yeah. I feel like we don't talk about Fuji enough on this podcast. We already talked about it. We talked about the X app. We talked about how you don't care about X-Trans anymore because you think film grain's better. Right, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. Why fake it when you can have the real thing? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And then just wasn't, that wasn't enough Fuji for you. No. There's a new lens in town for XF, and I want to talk about it because I have a 23 millimeter, and I've owned a 30 and a 35. Mm-hmm. And so in kind of all this same range... Here's a 27 millimeter lens that I feel like I can't live without. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many how many Fuji lenses do you own now? Don't worry about that, Daniel. Uh-huh. This is the Viltrox 27 millimeter 1.2, and this lens is huge. <laughs> it's like the size of the Viltrox 85 millimeter. It's enormous. Pretty big, but yep. it's f 1.2. That's probably but, why it's so big. That is why it's so big. And it occurs to me that I didn't even look up the filter thread for you. It's only 67 millimeter filter thread. Oh, that's surprising. That is surprising. Mm. But 27 mil, I mean, uh, it's. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's uh, some would say it's the best focal length. Some would. Some would say it's the worst focal length. <laughs> but you know, the, looking at what Fuji makes in this line, they have a twenty-seven millimeter, but I, it's two point eight. Yeah, I have it. a little pancake. Yeah, complete opposite of this thing. This is the fastest, widest lens that I've seen for Fuji. Yeah. I mean, F1.2, there aren't that many Fuji lenses. The, the 56 is the only one, the one I can think of. That's the only Fuji lens that's that fast. Yeah. So, the Viltrux cool. is coming out here. They added that 75. Now they got the 27. And this is all part of their, like, these are, like, metal construction. And they're, like, these pro-level, you know, lenses. And, you know, they have the 13.14 and they have the 75.12. And now they have the 27.12. And I feel like it's really interesting and strategic because they feel and act like native lenses. They're very quick to autofocus. Do they have the aperture ring? They have the aperture ring oh, on them. that's a big change. Quick to autofocus. They're, yeah. they're, they're heavy, which is kind of a downside, but like they feel substantial. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, Fuji doesn't make a wide prime wider than like 18. Well, now they have the 8 millimeter. But like they don't make a fast wide prime, so they have this 13.14. No equivalent Fuji lens. They come out with this seventy-five-one two. There's like you, like you get the ninety and you got the fifty-six. There's nothing in the middle. Yeah, and now the twenty-seven, right? So they're like hitting these really interesting spots of you know here's another fast prime where you don't didn't have one before, and I kind of like what Viltrux is doing here. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, it's just good that they're not saying like here's a Fuji lens or here's the lens that's the same as the Fuji one but just like slightly different mm-hmm. or you know maybe it's a hundred dollars cheaper. Like they're actually giving you different choices in the market right they're let they're basically letting sigma do that you know like here's an alternate to the 16 here's an yeah, alternate to the yeah. 56 that is the same speed maybe it's sharper you know, mm-hmm. cl- classic sigma so yeah. i don't know it's like uh viltrox is trying to carve out a name for themselves they're putting the, their lenses in positions where you there isn't an mm-hmm. equivalent option so like you kind of have to buy the viltrox if you want that speed or that focal length yeah and then uh, people are like wow these are these are actually pretty good that's pretty cool i think i actually saw something today maybe where Filtrox was say, I don't know if they, I don't know if they made a statement about this or what, but they were basically saying like, they want to be known for making pro type glass. Yeah. I think previously their reputation was like, here's the cheap China version. Of well, this that was always how I thought of them. And I actually, at one point when I, when I owned the, the GH five, I had a Viltrox micro four thirds to EF adapter. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, everybody was using the Metabones adapter and it was like $600 right. and I got this Viltrox one for like 140. Mm-hmm. And at the at that time like that was that was like a huge win for me because you know, it was a lot cheaper than anything else I could have gotten and I was trying to save money and all that. And it was like it was fine, but I occasionally had trouble with it like yeah, that- every now and then like the camera would give me some error and have to power cycle it and like that just that didn't feel great. And so I always kind of had this impression of Viltrox as like a budget brand. And I think that's kind of like how they made their way in. I and mean, they've only mm-hmm. been around since 2009. Oh, okay. I didn't and know so that. They're not, they're not like a super new company. And I think that these more premium style lenses are kind of there mm-hmm. kind of trying to push into a different part of the market and rebuild their reputation. And I think these are, you know, optically good lenses. I don't necessarily, I still, in my opinion, don't think that they're of the quality of like a Sigma. Yeah. They're not going to be as good as like maintaining the chromatic aberrations and that sort of thing. But all the reviews I've seen of like this 2712 is that it's, it's very good. Even at 1.2, it's, it's pretty good. Oh, pretty cool. Yeah. Glad to see it. Me too. Especially with an aperture ring. I, I'd really like to see Sigma and Tamron and all these other companies that are making third party Fuji lenses. I'd like to see them start doing the aperture ring. Yeah, definitely. 
So, since we're talking about lenses, mm-hmm. I am just going to blow straight past this next topic that we've been skipping for weeks and weeks and weeks because I want to talk about these Cook lenses. Yeah. So you can't stop me. I, I saw it, man. I saw this news and I just knew this was right oh, up your alley. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> okay. I don't know about you, but in my opinion, Cook makes some of the best lenses. Now, do you think that they're the best because they're like optically sound or because they have a long history and like they're like kind of vintage? Like what's the reason for that? I would say both. I would say like if we're talking about, you know, just great lenses, like lenses that you're going to like carve your name into it. Like you're like John John Carpenter and then like you shoot shoot your movie with it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think he actually shot on Cook, but maybe he didn't shoot on Cook. Whatever. Panavision, you can't even buy Panavision lenses. You got to rent them. And then there's Cook. I mean, this this is like creme de la creme yeah. when it comes to PL I mount. Mean, they're definitely one of the top tier cinema lens brands. No oh doubt. yeah. So if you're looking for that Cook look, Cook look. Yep. I mean, you're paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars for a lens, probably renting them. Mm-hmm. And up to this point, Cook only makes stuff for PL mount. Yep. So you got to have one of those uh, Sony. F55s. Yeah, that's why I need a PL mount camera that shoots raw in 444. Mm -hmm. And then you can sell your car and buy one lens. Daniel, no, I'm going to buy one of these like 13 year old cameras for, and I'm I'm just going to sell my X-T3. I'm not going to sell my (laughs) X-T3. I'm going to save my dollars and I'm going to spend $2,500 on a cinema camera. And then I'm not going to be able to buy a lens because they're all peel mount and peel mount lenses are crazy expensive. Well, that's why I was saying you have to sell your car. You need to sell your car and you buy one lens. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yep. Gonna sell my car. Who needs it? Yeah. I'll ride this. I'll ride this lens to work. Anyway, Speed Penko 3. Probably pronounced I don't know. Wrong. I don't know what words you're saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Panko like a type of breadcrumb? I'm saying it wrong. It's like it's like Pancro or Pancho or whatever. Poncho? Like, no, maybe just whatever. <laughs> this is going to be a show notes thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not like. It's just like you read it and like you never say it out loud, and then you actually like go to say it out loud, and, it's, and then you, you just can't. Anyways, back, I'm going back up to two two whole minutes here. That's good. Yeah, the company Cook is like we're we're looking at we're looking at this whole mid tier high prosumer whatever market. And people are shooting more and more things on hybrid mirrorless cameras, or they're shooting things on like a Confinity or a, a Komodo. Right. And we need to get into that market because there's stuff that's getting shot that is not on Cook. And there's all these like filmmakers that are growing up and they're not shooting Cook glass and they don't realize what they're missing. And so like we gotta we gotta get in there. And so now they're they're coming into the market, Daniel. They're coming in hot and they're releasing a full array of primes, and those primes are going to be on. Actually, I, I was going to read this. I need you to read this list of primes to me, and you say the stuff, and then I'm going to say the things that are in parentheses. So, Daniel, tell me, tell me what lens mounts these are coming in. Uh, it looks like L, E, and R, F. Say what? Nice M. And then they say they're open to Z mount. They don't currently have plans for that. <gasps> I like what you're doing here. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Yep. Okay. They're gonna they're gonna come out with RF. You know, they're yeah. they're like. I mean, that, that honestly is good to see because 
I've been so confused about why Red keeps putting RF mount on things like the Komodo. Yeah, and that's why. It's because they don't care about cam- Canon right now. Yep. Red uses RF. Yeah. So they're they're shipping towards the Red market. Yeah, they're probably right. I mean, Canon does have like the C200 and stuff. They've got the you know, sure. R5C. C70. So, I mean, they have stuff that makes sense with it, but I still don't know if you'd be putting a lens this expensive on like a c70 so i think you i think you would i mean c70 is a six thousand dollar camera yes that's true it's same 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 price class the anyway, Komodo. still getting ahead of myself here yep. this is a these are they're going to come out with full frame set of primes mm-hmm. they're going to be priced at forty five hundred dollars a pop which is like that's expensive but compared to everything else they make that's like peanuts yep it's, and it's it's five lenses and then you can buy all five of them for twenty one thousand three hundred seventy five dollars oh that's it yeah what so, uh what focal lengths are we looking at Okay, just hold your horses. No, no, you tell me right now. Okay. <laughs> 25, 32, 50, 75, and 100. So a couple on the wide side. Mm-hmm. Got a mid telephoto and then a more telephoto. Okay, yeah. You know, pretty, pretty good range here. Decent. So what they've done is they've taken their Speedpanker 3 you know, lenses that everybody loves because they're super fantastic. And they've applied the same formula. They've fixed a few of the issues that they have with these lenses and they've essentially shrunk them down into these mirrorless hybrid camera mm. sized lenses. We're not talking like three foot long and ginormous cine lenses. So it's not it's not like the company Cook is making new lenses. Like they're they're additionally kind of adding in this like this is the same optical formula as one of their really popular like older cinema lens. Yes. Lines. So, well, yes and no. It's like it's the same optical formula. However, this lens is significantly smaller. Yeah. Like it's small okay. enough that you could mount it on like a red Komodo X and like put it on a gimbal. Yeah. Or you okay. you could put it on you know your your C seventy and it would it would look like a full frame photography yeah, it's like, lens. It's, a, it's appropriately sized. Correct. Yeah, yeah, but it's still you know it's got the it's got the 160 degree rotation manual focus. It's got the gears on it. Like it's a cinema lens. Yeah. And so these things are you know t 2.4 at the fastest. Go up to t 16 and all this sort of thing. But what I was trying to get to is like the the speed pancro three lenses. Stuff like like Home Alone, Steve Jobs, 127 Hours, Rush, Gremlins 2. These are all movies that were shot on these lenses. Oh, cool. And so if like, you're looking for kind of like, well, what, are, what are they going to look like? There's some examples for you. Okay. You know, and they're, they're tied, like the things that they've done for this stuff. And like the reason you would buy Cook is like, if you buy this whole set, they're all going to be color balanced to each other. Sure. They have these really uh, like smooth, you know, ghosting whenever you go over the highlights like it's not going to be harsh they've purposely built in like how that ghosting looks so you can get very you know exciting and interesting flares that aren't going to like wash out your image too much or look overly dramatic and they support these lenses now support up to like an 8k resolution and like this really beautiful smooth fall off the lenses are like slightly softer than the center and it's kind of like this intentional look mm-hmm. and they're just like these really really nice looking cook lenses yeah the bokeh is like super smooth like you don't get any onion ringing or soap bubbling they're just gonna be optically fantastic because they're cook lenses and so if you're like i'm shooting i'm shooting with hybrid mirrorless or maybe you have like a bigger production but you need like smaller crash cams but you want them to color match to your big cook stuff we finally have an option yeah i mean and you know i think what what i think is interesting about it is I'm never going to buy a $4,500 lens. I'm never going to buy a set 
of lenses that costs $21,000. But, you know, a lot of people for big productions already rent lenses. Mm -hmm. And with these having comparatively much lower costs, that makes me think that you're probably gonna be able to rent these lenses for a much cheaper price than you would like a, you know, a full, like larger set of, uh, you know, of cinema primes. So I think that's cool. And I think that might mean that people doing smaller productions could afford to use this quality of lens. Right. Yeah. I mean, one, the whole, the whole set costs as much as less than one cook lens. Yeah. Like one normal yeah, cinema lens. Yeah, which is lens. pretty cool. And so it's, it's great that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And like they're, they're fully manual, right? There's no, there's no electronics in there to connect data. So like you're not gonna be able to read like whatever lens you shot on it back at the camera. Sure. And so, you know, Canon can't even complain about that. And it's, I mean, they're just straight up fully manual. I think I mentioned before, you got 160 rotation mm-hmm. on that focus pro throw. So very smooth, very linear. I mean, yeah. these things, these things sound like creme de la creme yeah. of like, you know, mirrorless cinema lenses out you there. You know, we talked about those Siri uh, cinema lenses uh, a few weeks ago, the ones that the ones they're coming out with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked a little bit about how some of the advantages are that they're all the same size and they all have the gearing and stuff. And so, like, when you're on a production, you can just swap stuff out really easily. Yep. And that's one of the big advantages of stuff like this. But, I mean, the comparison here is just that the Cook optics are going to be so much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's it really is the type of thing that would take up your production level a very large notch. Right. And to mention that, the 25, 32, 15, 75 are all basically identical in physical size mm-hmm. and dimension. The hundred is significantly larger, and yeah. so like you would have to remount for that one. But for the other ones, you don't. Yeah, and I mean that makes sense. Like you know, if they, if you have something as big as a hundred, if you wanted to make them all the same size, the other ones would all be needlessly large. So that's yeah. that's fair. I was trying to think like what else exists kind of in this market range right now, as far as you know, lenses of this size that are cinema lenses. They're geared. They're built for this, and like everything seems like it's. Like a mid to low tier. Yeah, like I mean, the like, Siri ones were the example I right. thought of. That's low tier for well, sure. Like, well, like you're gonna have decent ones like like um I was gonna say DXO, but I feel like that's wrong. DZO. Thank I you. I can yeah. always do that. Yeah. DZO, they got some decent lenses, but you know, their full set is like eight thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. Yeah. And like those are those are decent lenses. The cooks are gonna be better. But like that's kind of the range that we're talking about. Like Viltrox has some cool cinema lens options. And then you like you go lower than that, like Rokinons. Uh, series probably up there with uh, Viltrox, but yeah, yeah, it's like they're still all in. Like, here's five lenses for less than ten thousand dollars, right? And now Cook's coming in like way at the top end, but I don't yeah. know what, like, I don't know what else you're buying. Like, I don't like Panavision doesn't do this, mm-hmm. and like all the other manufacturer stuff is like, uh, like photography glass. Yeah, like Fuji has their Fujinon zooms, those mm-hmm. cine zooms, but. Well, and I also thought about, like, the Laowa nanomorphs. Like, that seems like kind of a similar comparison where you've got a set of lenses and, Mm -hmm. you know, you can buy a set for a discount or whatever. But I don't think there's anything quite like this in terms of at this price bracket. And that's cool to see. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It, It gives credibility to people who are making, like, films or projects at like a smaller budget and a smaller yeah, absolutely. scale or even like the equipment that they're using they're not going to be out there renting like uh an airy 35 or whatever they're going to be using whatever camera they can afford they're probably like shooting on a c70 or an old c200 or something yeah and it's like this is saying hey you know here's you can you have to rent them but here's some lens options that will fit your budget 
that is now going to like they're going to be really really good and help you grow into yeah, that cook system. It, it feels like it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Yeah, but it, and it also says you know like hey here's this you know cinema this top budget movie that's being shot on Cook. And now we're going to mix in these cheaper cameras because, like, we need a crash camera. We need a really small B cam or a a gimbal shot or something. And it's like, oh, wow, they used my camera on this movie? And it's like, well, yeah, because, like, they needed something that physically worked. And you can see that, like, the footage is basically good enough. And then it's easier for them because they can match to the the more professional glass. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So I think this is all really cool. It's the RF mount isn't going to ship immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, they are going to give you a QR code, which this is another thing I didn't mention. It's not like you have to buy the ones that you need. You buy the whole set and they give you all of the mounts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And yeah. so you just like and they're using, change them out. You, you can change them as the user. Yeah. You, you, you change them. And so like, it's not like you're picking and it's not like, oh, this comes in these mounts. It's like, no, it comes in all of the mounts. And yeah. then like, you can just, you know, put whichever one you want on it. I like that. And so like... It will ship with like E and L straight out the gate. And then RF, they're going to give you a, like a redeemable code. So you okay. can get the RF whenever it does come out. Didn't you think it was interesting that L was in this list? I, w- I really want to talk about that. I'm actually putting this onto my list of reasons why Daniel's <laughs> going to buy an S5 Mark II later. Like I said, I would never buy a lens like this, but I could imagine renting them. Yeah, sure. Know, for, you know, if you have a shoot planned and it's going to be two days long or whatever, I can imagine renting yeah, lenses uh, like this. The, like, L mount being just right up there with what this is these lenses are launching in. I'm like that like totally legitimizes like Panasonic and what they're doing and all of this like L mount lens stuff. Well, I think it I think it legitimi- legitimizes the rumors that Blackmagic is making an L mount camera. Absolutely. Cuz even the Panasonic stuff like I'm kind of raising an eyebrow at that because they're right now their highest end L mount camera is the S1H. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's a that's a very capable camera, but it kind of feels like it's not in the same class as any of this other stuff they're talking about, and right. so it makes me wonder like, a what what do these people know about the upcoming Panasonic cameras, and b what other you know what other cinema grade L mount stuff might be coming because I I kind of feel like something's coming if Cook is releasing L mount as like a first party like right out the gate option. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's a really interesting take. E-mount was obvious. RF was a surprise to me, but well, not, red, it, right? Like you not, have yeah, to. It's not a surprise to me because the Komodo has to be one of their big uh big selling points here. Why are they shipping it with M-mount? I don't even know is what it, what is what 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 is M-mount used for? Leica. But like like what? Like they have some they have some mirrorless cameras that are m mount for that are like a cameras i don't know the answer to that that seems strange yeah I, aren't can't you get l mount on leica i feel like we're missing something here and some maybe somebody will email in and tell us about the m mount cinema camera we're not familiar with but that's kind of strange yeah like that was kind of where i was struggling too was are they just appealing to the people who are like this person who buys a leica lens also wants to buy that a cook cine lens that doesn't make sense to me i, I think we're missing something there I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking at the lens of all these uh, these M mount cameras, and it's just all like a stuff. I don't know. Weird. You're like you don't. I don't. I don't associate Leica with uh, with film, but like yeah. shooting movies and stuff. Yeah, same. And, here. But I exclusively think about Cook with shooting movies. Yeah, I don't know. We might have to follow up on that. I'm. I'm I need to think about that more. And so they didn't. They they obviously skipped over XF. 
because it's not full frame and these are full frame lenses. Yeah. I can live with that. It's acceptable. I mean, I'm going to have to switch to, to an L mount camera. I was going to anyway, say, so. if, you, if you needed to move to Panasonic. Yeah. Why. I mean, it's just the writings on the walls. Just kidding. I'm never going to leave you, Fuji. I'm sorry. Sort of. Z mount. What's like an icon over here? We've, we've talked about the Z8 and like 8K, all this stuff. Like it's a capability and like the video prowess of the, of the Z8 and like being able to shoot all the raw internal and all this stuff. That is an amazing hybrid camera. It is. And but, it's good for video. But nobody takes it seriously as that. That's the problem, right? Like that, exactly. you, you were just talking about how, you know, one of the advantages of these lenses is that people see Cook and like they know what that means and mm-hmm. like that like legitimatizes your production. And there ain't nobody out there shooting any sort of big film production on Nikon. No, absolutely not. And like Z Raw is a really good raw format. And like if you're in this if you're like, one of those four 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 bros. Exactly. I mean, why are you not shooting on Z9, Z8? Those are like would be really good camera options for this if you're doing some sort of low budget movie thing and you need like 8K. You know, Z9, Z8, great options. You're not gonna be shooting on these cooks. And I was like, that is a slap in the face to Nikon. <laughs> because when they asked about it, they were like, hey, we'll we'll do it if people want it, but like, they're like, who but wants we, this? We have these M mount, <laughs> M mount things that are only used on like a uh, photo cameras, yep. but we're not going to do Z mount. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was like, oh, oh boy, mm. Ooh, shots fired. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, man, I, I hadn't really thought about that until I said it about what this tells us about L mount and stuff. But mm-hmm. now I'm, that's I'm going to think about that more. But that's. I think that's interesting to see because I, I just can't imagine them putting putting the work into making these mounts if they didn't feel like there was a market for it. So uh. yeah. I just I I want one of these so bad. Yeah. I can't imagine myself at this point in my like, you know, film video whatever journey of like spending forty five hundred dollars on a lens unless like I had a very specific project yeah. for which is like what this is what these were for. Like I'm gonna shoot this thing I need but, all these But lenses. like I said, I I mean I don't think that you have to be thinking about buying it to imagine using one. Yeah. But I get like if I owned the cameras and stuff people were like renting the gear and my time. Like mm-hmm. maybe that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you're right, like renting is is the right thing here because if i had one i would want all five yeah and all yeah. five cost twenty one thousand three hundred seventy five dollars for most people <laughs> i feel like you're just going to rent these lenses you know if you if you want to buy a full set of cinema primes i think that's when you go for like maybe the nanomorphs definitely something like the siri yeah you know like even, something where even you get dco like, is cheap enough yeah right yeah but like something like this i, I think this is going to be solidly in the rental market yeah definitely but it's I just, I love this so much, right? Like mid-September release date. And these are, I feel like this just opens the door for like, hey, you're going to shoot your, here's your $100,000 budget. You're shooting this on like, you know, cheaper cameras or whatever. You're trying to keep costs down. You can shoot it on Cook now. Yep. And like that Cook look, man. That Cook look. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm super into it. I love yeah. it. I feel like T2.4 to T2. 16 is like that's just perfect they're not like speedmasters they're not you know t 1.4 1.2 or anything but like they're going to be perfectly sharp and perfectly good sure. at those ranges and yeah. that's that's fast enough for full frame so yeah pretty cool yeah i like it me too 10 out of 10 come on cook bring it <laughs> well you got anything else for us today well i, I assume that me skipping over this 
this one topic means that it's going to have to push, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh, jeez. Just another week. Just yep. keep tacking it on there. We'll get to it eventually, we Daniel. Will. We will. Except the, the iPad people are clamoring for this topic. I know. So. It's it's a really cool topic and it's fun. We're not even going to talk about it next week. Like I know that like, we're on a delayed whatever release cycle, but next Tuesday is the Fuji event and it's the iPhone event. Oh, and right. we got to talk about we got to talk about all the iPhone camera stuff and why it's stupid. And then we have to talk about the GFX because Daniel, if Lumix doesn't get their crap together, we're going to be talking about the camera of the year 2023 next week. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just saying, I'm going to be I'm going to have to lament for 45 minutes about why they're not bringing all these like waveform and anamorphic features to my XH2S <laughs> and why I'm not going to get the new film simulation. It's just going to be it's going to be horrible. Well, now that you've said all that, I'm sure everyone's looking forward to next week's episode. <laughs> Can't wait to tune in. Yep, Fujicast, here we come. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week. <laughs>